Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Let's get into our story today. We are in our third uh, third sermon on uh, this series on love is not boastful or proud. We're looking at the story of Samson, and Samson only takes up three chapters of the whole Bible. Judges 14 through 16 is where we, where we see the story of Samson. And Samson ex- Samson's exploits are pretty uh, wild, uh, to say the least. And, and, and the one that you guys are probably extremely familiar with is the one I'm going to be talking about today, and it's the story of Samson and Delilah. But we'll get there in just a moment. You can turn there, and we'll be getting there in a moment to Judges chapter 16. A person who calls himself Frank, not the name Frank, uh, and Candid can be very, uh, let me say this over again. A person who calls himself Frank and Candid can very easily find himself becoming tactless, and cruel. A person who prides himself on being tactful can find that eventually he has become evasive and deceitful. A person with firm convictions can become pig-headed. A person who's inclined to be temperate and judicious can sometimes turn into someone with weak convictions and banked fires of resolution. Loyalty can lead to fanaticism. Caution can become timidity. Freedom can become license to do whatever you want to do. Confidence can become arrogance. Humility can become servility. All these are ways in which a strength can become a weakness if you're not careful. Where does this lead us today with the story of Samson? So we continue with his story. We notice that Samson allowed pride to get the best of him. And his physical strength was his strength. But his pride and his physical strength would ultimately become his downfall. Because he knew that nobody could lay a hand on him because of his physical strength. We come to the story today with Delilah, and we find out because of his strength and his arrogance about his strength, it ultimately became his downfall. I see people who have gift mixes and, 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 and those kind of things that God has imbued them with, these amazing talents and abilities, and I don't see them oftentimes using it for God. I see them using it for themselves to get accolades, to get the awards, to get all of this stuff. But Jesus tells us in the New Testament, if you get the applause of men, that's all the applause you'll get. But would you rather have the applause of men or the applause of heaven? There's a distinction there. Because the applause of heaven, this side of heaven, is not very loud. Because not many people see what you do in secret in a good way. There are things we should be doing that we shouldn't be taking credit for. Well, Brandon, why not? Because it's not about you. Never has been, never will be. It's not about me. Never has been, never will be. It's not about our fame. It's always about his. And see, that's something Samson forgot. 
So let's turn in Judges chapter 16. Let's look at verse 1 and look at the story of Samson and Delilah, the one you've probably heard of before, but let's look at it in detail. And I promise you this will be an entertaining message this morning. Verse 1, and it starts off great. One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent a night, the night with a prostitute. A prostitute in the Hebrew language is the same as a prostitute in the English language. It's exactly the same. He spent the night in a Philistine town with a prostitute. He, li- he has a thing for Philistine women. His mom and dad hated the fact that he wouldn't find a woman among his own people, the Israelites. He has a thing for Philistine women. And so he goes and spends the night with a prostitute. Isn't it funny how the Bible is very unabashed in its telling of our hero, heroes of the faith? Isn't it funny how it gives us warts and all about the characters of Scripture? Now, we highlight their accomplishments, but there's also weaknesses that sometimes we neglect to talk about. Spent the night with a prostitute in the Philistine town of Gaza. Word soon spread that Samson was there. So the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, when the light of morning comes, we will kill him. (laughs) I'm sure that's how they did it. I'm just guessing. In their Philistine language, I'm sure it wasn't in English. All right. And you can take that to the bank. It's Philistine. (laughs) But But Samson stayed in bed only until midnight. And then he got up, took hold of the doors of the town gate, including the two posts, and lifted them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and carried them all the way to the top of the hill across from Hebron. He's pretty strong. City gates. It's not like the door in your bedroom or your bathroom uh, that are hollow and you just pop the little pins out. I could carry one of those pretty easily and I'm not strong. City gates had to keep the enemies out. They would have been extremely thick, made of hard wood, and more than likely would have been bolted together with, with iron bars or metal sheets. The poles that would be basically the hinge points where the the gates would have hung onto would have been huge and would have been sunk deeply into the ground so that they provided a strength for the door to swing on. And there would have been more than likely two of them to swing open and to swing shut because it had to be wide enough for carts and different things to come in and out of the city gates. Now imagine Philistine or Philistine, Samson, takes these doors, posts and all, puts them on his shoulders, and carries them to the next hill over, as if to taunt his so-called attackers. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorek. 
The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how, uh, and how, we can overpower, how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And that's pretty good, actually. So Delilah said to Samson, <clears throat> please tell me what makes you so strong and what would what it would take to tie you up securely? Guys. <laughs> this is a, more than likely Delilah is a prostitute as well. All right? Fill in the blanks in your own minds as to what he might have been thinking because hers was about getting the 1,100 pieces of silver from each of the men that said, entice Samson to tell you the secret of his strength. And so what does he say? Samson replied, if I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that have not been dried, yet been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings and she tied Samson with them. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house and she cried out, Samson, in the southern accent. The Philistines have come to capture you. Now she screams this out, but Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it's burned by fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Afterward, Delilah said to him, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now please tell me how you can be tied up securely. Okay, so my guess is at this point, Samson's not thinking anything of prostitute value in her tying him up. And so he's going to be like, yeah, I, 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 fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? What does Samson do? Samson replied, well, if I were tied up with brand new ropes that had never been used, I would become as weak as anyone else. So Delilah took new ropes, tied him up with them. The men were hiding in the inner room as before, and Delilah again cried out, Samson, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But again, snaps, Snapson. Samson, Snap, you know the last time I started stumbling over my words, <laughs> you guys might remember I made a really bad faux pas and we had to edit that out of the tape. This is not gonna be one of those days. I'll, I'll get my, I'll get it. I'll get it fixed right now. The Philistines have come to capture you, but again, Samson snapped the ropes from his arms as if they were thread. <laughs> Delilah gets frustrated. You've been making fun of me, telling me lies. Now tell me how you could be tied up securely. Samson is super thick. They got not just in muscles, but in brain power. He doesn't quite get it yet. Or does he? Because I think there's a part of him that does. I'll show her. I'll go ahead, tie me up with new ropes, bowstrings, and now the next one. If you were to weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric on your loom and tighten it with the loom shuttle, 
I would have become as weak as anyone else. Now, seven braids. Samson had never cut his hair in all of his life. Samson more than likely, and no kidding, would have had cornrows, if you know what those are, down his hair braided all the way back. The braided hair is a little bit shorter than loose hair. And so he would have had seven of those. Seven was a unique number and a special number in the Israelite community because seven meant complete. It meant to be whole. And so there's seven rows of his hair, never been cut, braided all the way back. And then what happens? While he slept, Delilah wove seven braids of his hair into the fabric. This guy has got to be a sound sleeper. (laughs) Then she tightened it with the loom shuttle. And again, she cried out, and I won't use a southern accent. Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson woke up, pulled back the loom shuttle, and yanked his hair away from the loom and the fabric. And then Delilah pouted. Do you remember the last time a woman pouted for Samson? How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging. When was the last time that we heard of the nagging in Samson's story? Judges chapter 14 and his first wife. Day after day, she continued to do this until he was sick to death of it. Another weakness of his, if you just push him hard enough, eventually he'll come tumbling down. What does he do next? He's got to know she's up to no good. Right? How many times did she try to get him to tell her the secret of his strength? Three. Third time's a charm, right? I would think after the first time, he would say, oh, she's trying to kill me. She's trying to kill me in my sleep. So what happens? Samson says, oh, forget it. I'm done with you, lady. Is that what he says? Finally, Samson shared the secret with her. What a dummy. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anyone else. Now, Samson knew that that was true only because he was taught that from birth. But he'd never had his hair cut. He'd never had that tested. So to him... I don't know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Here's the secret, yada, yada, yada. Get off my back, woman, is what he basically says. Delilah realized that he had finally told her the truth, so she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back just one more time. One more time. For he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head on her lap. 
And she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. Again, what kind of a sound sleeper must this guy be? More than likely, it would have been shearing scissors rather than a razor of sorts that they would have kind of cut his hair off with. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. She then cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I'll do as I did before and shake myself free, but he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. From where did Samson get his strength? Not from his hair, from the Lord. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. But before long, his hair began to grow back. Here's a key point this morning. Pride leads to weakness. Pride always leads to weakness. There are three things we can take away from this passage today. The first one is this. Samson's addiction to lust made him weak. What was was one of his main weaknesses? He never saw a Philistine woman he didn't like. His first wife, we know that by the testimony of the scripture, he slept around with prostitutes. He had a problem with lust. And his lust led him into places and to women who didn't have his best interest at heart. But he had this weakness, this yearning to have these sexual desires met. Another interesting fact about this story, do you know the meaning of the name Samson? It means son of light, S-O-N, of light. Or it can also mean sunlight. Do you know what Delilah's name means? Literally translated, it means lady of the night. Not kidding. Lady of the night. You can't miss the irony here, can you? The fact that Samson's whole purpose in life was to be set apart for God, to be a light unto the world for God. Delilah, on the other hand, plied her business in the darkness of night, her worst action done to Samson while he was sleeping. Samson's eyes drove him into places he shouldn't have wondered. What are you supposed to do if your eye causes you to sin? What does Jesus say? Gouge it out, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. Now, literally, we're not to do that. So don't walk out of here saying, Pastor Brandon said, go gouge out your eyes if you have a problem with lust. Or cut your hand off if your hand leads you to sin. But you hear the importance of the story there? 
What is it that causes you to sin or leads you into sin? Cut it off from your life. You see, Samson had his eyesight forcefully taken from him. But guess what he couldn't do anymore? Look at a woman with lust in his heart anymore. It was a punishment. Philistines gouged out his eyes. But it was his lust that got him into so much trouble, his weakness for beautiful women. We all struggle against different vices. We all have our own weaknesses in life. But what are the lusts or the vices in your life? What are those things that inhibit you from a relationship with God? What are those things that hold you back? Those things that you continually struggle with time and time again, be it a bad attitude, negativity, addiction. What are those things that become wedges between you and God? What type of desires have such a stranglehold on you that they ultimately have either led to or will lead to your demise? The second thing is, because of Samson's pride and disobedience, God quickly left him. So you're telling me, Brandon, that God can leave us? Is that a possibility? Yeah. You can leave God, but after a while, if you continue in a pattern of behavior and your own desires, God will say, fine, if that's what you want. We don't like to hear that. We like to hear the good story of the gospel, that he never leaves us nor forsakes us, that he's always with us. But are there times when he will leave you? That doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. Are you sure that's biblical? Look in Scripture at the countless times where God, is, where God says, fine, and he walks away. There are some instances in there. And that's not something we like to talk about. Author and biblical scholar Victor Hamilton writes, when God departs, he may depart without fanfare. It's not like it's a huge parade. Sometimes you don't even know he's left. It's not like he's like, hey, I'm leaving. You know, like we do sometimes when we walk out the door, we're in a hurry, we're telling our family goodbye. Hey, I don't have time to come say goodbye, but I'm going. He doesn't do that. The cutting of Samson's hair marks the third and final violation of the Nazarite vow and the only part of the vow that the er uh, earlier had been expressly placed on Samson himself, not his mother. His mother was told to refrain from um, any of the grapes or, or uh, wine or hard liquor and not to touch or get near a dead body. She wasn't told not to cut her hair. That was the one that was completely reserved for Samson. And we know, more than likely, he was around the vineyards of Timnah and was messing around with grapes or wine, and that he had touched and been near dead bodies. The only thing he hadn't done up to this point is cut his hair. Samson woke up from his hairless slumber, unaware that God had left him, and that his remarkable strength was gone. Samson's ignorance of this left him vulnerable and alone in his pride and weakness, and he was overcome by the Philistine men lying in wait to ambush him 
alerted by Delilah and rising to meet his attackers as he had before Samson succumbed to the attackers who overtook him and gouged out his eyes. You see, disobedience and pride and arrogance finally caught up with Samson. Samson's greatest strength, which was God on his side, became his greatest weakness, God leaving his side. God will eventually leave us to our own devices if we continue a path of pride and difference and disobedience. You see, God is more patient than we can ever know, God, but it's God's patience does have limits. If we follow a pattern of disobedience long enough, God will allow us to suffer the punishment of the consequences of our actions. Brandon, where else do you find that in Scripture? But let's go back to the Old Testament. The prophets of the Old Testament, what are they constantly doing to the nation of Israel? What are they constantly saying on behalf of God to the nation of Israel and Judah? Okay, don't do this. Stop adultering or adulterating yourself and prostituting yourself to these other gods. Stop doing these behaviors. Stop doing these things that sacrifice your relationship to God. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Don't do this. If you do this, then this is going to happen. This will be your downfall. This is what the prophets are constantly doing, generation after generation. And ultimately, what happens to the nation of Israel? They become overcome by first the Assyrian army, which takes out the northern kingdom. The Assyrians were a pagan army who worshiped multiple different gods. And those gods that they worshiped were horrendous. Those gods demanded of them, if you will, that they sacrifice their babies on altars of fire to appease the gods. And then eventually the southern kingdom, after enough warnings and enough patience and long-suffering from God, succumbed to the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar's army would come in and wipe them out, disperse them to various different parts of the Babylonian kingdom, and they would no longer be a promised people with a promised land. Why did God let that happen? Because after a while, after enough disobedience had occurred, God finally said, fine, if you would rather be without me than with me, then I'll let you have that. But you need to understand what comes with rejecting God long enough and him saying, okay, if that's really what you want, I'll go away. His hand of protection leaves. His hand of provision leaves. And we're left naked and bare to the world's attacks. The God who would say, I will go ahead of you and fight for you, now, long, now no longer goes ahead of you and fights for you. The God who says, I will protect you, says, figure it out for yourself. We don't like to hear that, though. But we live in a day and age in a culture that says, you do what you want to do. What, is, what happens with freedom? Freedom can lead to license to do whatever you want to do if it's taken and abused. 
But we weren't given freedom just to do what we want. We were given freedom to do what he wants. And what does he want of us? Well, do you know your Bibles? Do you know it well enough to answer that question? Because if you don't know what Scripture says, you cannot answer that question. Well, what does God want of me? You're just spitting in the wind if you don't know what your word says, what the word of God says. And that's a scary place to be, and that's the condition of our culture. Why is our culture seemingly in great chaos right now? It's because we don't know what God's word says, and we aren't living by it. And those of us that claim to be living by it are actually living a lie because we perpetuate this, this idea of disobedience because, well, some churches allow it to happen. Some churches are allowing certain sinful behaviors. That makes it okay, right? No, what does Scripture state? What does God's Word say about how we should live life? Well, Brandon, it's not about what I do. It's all about what he did. You are correct. You can't save yourself. He did through Christ, what only he could do to bring salvation to the world. He died on a cross. He took up all of the sins that have ever been committed and ever will be committed and nailed them to the cross. I said this last week. Scripture tells us, Paul's letter, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He did that for you and me. But he doesn't force it on us. He still says you can accept it or you can leave it. But I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And I want you to receive it. I want you to accept it. I don't want you to continue to, to live a lie or believe a lie. There is no way to the Father except through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But when we start to get confused about our own desires versus his desires, then the whole thing implodes. We get ticked off at our spiritual leaders because they aren't tickling our ears with happy thoughts and happy teachings. Instead, Pastor Brandon told us today, God could leave us. I don't think I want to go back there anymore. That's not the kind of message I showed up for. If you showed up for anything less than truth, then maybe you should go somewhere else. And not to say that I have all the truth, but I know where the truth is. And I know where it lies. And I'm, I, I am, you know what scares me to death? Is that I would stand up here and lead you astray. That I would just tickle your ears with encouragement. And I do want you to feel encouraged. There is a hope. But if I just stand up here and only tell you the good things and leave out all the bad things, what good am I as a messenger of God? You see, they killed the prophets in the Old Testament because they didn't like their message. And the prophets of today who don't want to be killed will sometimes change the teaching so that they can evade being attacked. But we've got to get on the side of God and please him rather than pleasing other people. I've told you before, I think I told you just recently, I'm a people pleaser. I don't like anybody to be mad at me. I like to make everybody happy. 
I think it's the nature of most pastors to be people pleasers. There's a codependency in that, which is extremely unhealthy. But God has given us a message to preach and to teach, and it's not the message we concoct in our own offices or in our own places of, uh, of silence and study. It's something that we bring out of God's word within the context of the whole of Scripture. See, we all struggle against different things. We have to know what is right, what is wrong. How do I know if God has left me? How do I know if his presence has left me? If you're living in the presence of God and you are pursuing him on a regular basis, you know instantly when he's not there. And it's not just that he's been silent, it's that he is absent. See, God's silence doesn't equate with his absence. God's silence may just mean I'm here, but I'm not speaking right now. So what do you do with that? Where do you go with that? God's present, here's the hope. God's presence doesn't leave the repentant heart. I want you to know that. God's presence doesn't despise the broken and the contrite heart. God's presence is available to anyone who would seek him truly and honestly with a heart of repentance. But what is repentance, Brandon? You know what repentance is? And I was taught this early on as a kid. Repentance is if I'm walking in a certain direction and I make a 180 and I go the opposite direction, that's repentance. It's saying, I'm heading down this path. It's not the right path. It's a path away from God. He continues to pursue me, but if I repent and go toward him, then he forgives me. But if I continue in a path away from him and he continues to call me out and he say, no, 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 don't do that. Come back, come back to me. Eventually, he'll stop. And he'll say, fine, if that's really what you want. I continue to pursue you. I continue to call out your name. But the further and further you get away from me, the less and less you can hear me. But I'm continuing. But you allow the noises of the world around you to, to yell louder than my voice to you. And so you've numbed yourself to my voice and you don't hear me anymore. You don't know my word, so you can't hear my voice either. You don't pray and commune with me, so you don't know me when I speak. And so when I leave you, you may not even realize it. Samson, his spiritual blindness left him physically blind. Author and biblical commentator Matthew Henry wrote, see the fatal effects of false security. Satan ruins men and women by flattering them into good opinion of their own safety and so bringing them to mind nothing, to fear nothing. And then he robs them of their strength and honor and leads them captive at his will. When we sleep, our spiritual enemies do not. Let me say that again, because I think it's a powerful quote from Matthew Henry. When we sleep, our spiritual enemies do not. Samson's eyes were the inlets of his sin, and now his punishment began there. Now the Philistines blinded him. He had time to remember how his own lust before blinded him. 
The best way to preserve the eyes is to turn them away from beholding vanity and evil. The warning by his fall, carefully to watch against all fleshly lust, for all our glory is gone and our defense departed from us when our separation to God as spiritual Nazarites is profaned. Because Samson's prideful living and disobedience, he incurred the punishment of God that came along with this unrighteous behavior. It eventually caught up with him. As a judge over Israel, Samson had seemingly forgotten or he had either blatantly disregarded the law of Moses as given by God. Think of this, Samson was a judge over Israel. Let me remind you again, what was a judge's responsibility? He was the main priest over the nation, if you will. He was the, the military leader. He was the one that would judge between right and wrong on cases that would come to him. And how would he judge? Not on his own opinion, but on the law of Moses. Now think of this, Samson knows the law. But does he live by it? Not at all. Samson knew in Deuteronomy chapter 28, which is a part of God's law, that says, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and panic. Why would that happen if we dis, and not we, if they in the Old Testament had disobeyed the law? This is what would happen. The Lord will strike them with madness, blindness, and panic. You will grope around in broad daylight like a blind person groping in the darkness, but you will not find your way. If you continue to disobey me, if you continue to break my laws, this is what will happen to you. You will be oppressed and robbed continually, and no one will come to save you. Samson knew that. And he knew that disobedience would ultimately lead to that. But why didn't he care? The one who should have known better, the one who was supposed to be the expert, came under the judgment of the law as he kind of threw caution to the wind and he, in, in his arrogance, thought, my strength is my own. Yeah, God had something to do with it. I know I was raised as a Nazarite. But look what I can do. In instances in Judges chapter 14 and Judges chapter 15, we read him bolstering and, and bragging about all that he could do with his strength. And then in his arrogance and weakness, if you will, with Delilah, he says, fine, the strength of my Nazarite vow, the physical strength comes from my hair. And again, I mentioned he never had that tested up to that point, but I'm guessing he even doubted it because why would he tell her that unless his weakness to just say, I'm tired of your nagging, here's the deal. Either way, it was weakness. It was weakness because he really didn't believe that his strength came from his hair. He just thought he was all that. Or his weakness came in the fact that he was tired of her nagging and he was willing to get her off his back by telling her his secret. All of God's giants, 
that we read about in scripture or in human history, all of God's giants have usually been weak men or women. Have you noticed that? Hudson Taylor, founder of the China Inland Mission, knew the secret of strength through weakness. Complimented once by a friend on the impact of the mission, Hudson answered, it seemed to me that God looked over the whole world to find a man who was weak enough to do his work. And when at last he found me, he said, he's weak enough, he'll do. All God's giants have been weak men and women who did great things for God because they counted on his being with them. Samson was a giant in the world's eyes in his day. But he would have to be humbled in order to become a giant in God's kingdom. What do we learn about in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 27? He chose the weak things of the world to shame those who think that they are wise. Samson had great physical strength, but he had neglected to realize that that strength didn't come from him, it came from the Lord. It wasn't until Samson was weak that he truly became strong. For too long, for not too long after Samson's humiliation, what does the last verse tell us there in today's passage? Verse 22. There's a foreshadowing that even though God may depart from us, he is also a God of second chances. Because for not too long, Samson's hair began to grow. We don't know how long it would take. We aren't given the exact time period that he had his hair cut in this month, and then next year of this time, his hair had fully grown. But remember, it's not about the hair. The hair is symbolic of the act of God in Samson's life. And when Samson was stupid enough to hand over the secret, he arrogantly said, I don't care. God, I don't care about my vow to you. I don't care what you've done for me. All I care about is what I can get out of life. Samson gave away the secret, thus giving away his strength, thus God's departure. Our, our world and our culture honor pride and arrogance as something to be sought after. And we can easily be caught up in that. We want to stand on the podium and have people cheer our names. We want our names written on plaques and trophies. And some of you, say, some of you may say, no, 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 I don't. But there's a part of the human side of us that wants to, to, to get the pat on the back and to be encouraged. And that's not a bad thing in and of itself. But when that becomes the sole driving force in our lives... It forces us inward into this selfish place that is unhealthy. The world holds high those who achieve greatness by the world's standards. The world elevates the proud and the wicked as people to emulate. But God will have nothing to do with that kind of fame. 
In God's kingdom, it's the first who is last and the last who is first. In God's kingdom, the greatest is the one who serves. Pride ultimately leads to weakness. Where are you in the grand scheme of today's message with Samson and Delilah? As our worship team comes forward to close us out this morning, let me ask you this. Have you allowed pride and arrogance? And it's subtle. It may not be as wild and crazy as Samson's. Maybe you're not going around strutting your stuff, but maybe you struggle with an internal pride that nobody else can see. Maybe it's just a pride that you hold out against God, saying, I don't know that there is a God, and even if there was, I don't think he could do anything for me. I got to take care of myself. You may never articulate that, but maybe that's the way you live your life. Be careful that you don't live your life in such a way and for such a time that God finally says, fine, (laughs) have it your way. Obviously, you don't want my way. And so I'll give you what you want, your way. That's a dangerous place to be. You see, if anyone wants to be his follower, you must first deny yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow him. It's not about getting what you want, when you want, and how you want it. It's about getting it the way he wants in his timing, the way he wants it. But let me tell you, when you do that, you find that it's perfect and good and benefits you the most. He's not some ugly dictator lording over you, trying to get you to do his bidding. He is somebody who loves you and has given his son for you and is willing to span eternity, step into time to show you how much he loves you. That kind of God is not arrogant or pompous or selfish. That kind of God is the most selfless God the world has ever known. Not giving you what you want, but always giving you what you need. And sometimes even putting the icing on the cake for you to just wow you. So you can continue to run the opposite direction. You can continue to do your own thing the way you want to do it. You can continue to think you're doing God's bidding, but really living what you want to live. But you'll never know true freedom, and you'll never know true strength until you first become weak and God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I I know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but rulers, powers, principalities, demonic forces in this dark world that we live in. But God, you penetrated this dark world with your light. Truly the son of light, Jesus Christ, came into the world that through his life and through our belief in him we might not perish but have everlasting life I pray your forgiveness on us when we're weak I pray your forgiveness on us God when we've sinned and fallen and failed when we've gone the wrong directions when we've given in to the world's demands and done what it says is right Forgive us of those things. We repent of those things and we turn to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, I pray that you would move and work in this place. I pray that you would humble the arrogant and lift up the humble. 
pray, God, that you would transform lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.